Welcome back to Murder in the Black. Yes. We're a little late this week, but it's still Friday. So technically, we still on time, right? Right, right. We're getting this out to you. And as a result of us, like, being a little delayed this week, we're going to give you a bonus episode next week. Awesome, awesome. So before we, like, enter into our our case for the week, we just want to say thank you so much for the Steve McNair podcast. Like, that one has definitely tipped the scales. We've gotten so many new viewers, so many people who have came and found us on TikTok as a result of listening to the podcast. And that that podcast is jumping, like that particular episode. Yeah, it, I mean, and I can understand it. It really is a very interesting um, case. And it, it was a pretty long episode too so we appreciate you listening and tuning in and yeah staying engaged for sure yes 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 um so we also want you guys to know like i like to just do housekeeping you know we have a website so we're online we're official we have our own domain we're murderintheblack.com so we want y'all to go visit us find out a little bit more about md and i you know other than what we do when we podcast you know um, you can find out some random facts about us. So check that out. Keep you up to date as well. Absolutely. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. And we're trying to get bigger, better as we go along. We're we're trying to, you know, buy new new and better equipment that makes us sound better. So, you know, thanks for being patient with us as we are just trying to work out the kinks. But at the same time, bring you some good stories. And I yes. think we got a good one for them today, too. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, what are we going to title this one, MD? Because I think I did the the Steve McNair one. So, what would you title this particular case? What would you say? Mm, I, I really should have put the thought into this. I think that um, mental health is real. Yeah, I think that's appropriate for sure. Yeah, I mean, because that's really kind of what, you know, at the end of the day, this, the root of this case for me really was about. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's get into this story time and take us away. Yes, so we're, so before we do anything, you know, we got to do our normal. So grab your coffee if it's the morning or your wine if it's the evening, but either way, let's get into it. So today we're going to talk about Maitreese Richardson. And, you know, there's not a lot of details about Maitreese, um, you know, through our research. But what we do know about Maitreese is that she, you know, grew up, was born and raised in California. Um, and she, you know, at the time of her disappearance, she was 24 years old. And she was really kind of on a high in terms of what was going on in her life. She had just graduated from, um, you know, from college and she had earned her her bachelor's degree in psychology. She uh, was working as an internship for uh, a forensic psychologist. And I that that just sounds interesting. Like, you know, it's one of those it's one of those careers where you're just like, you know what, that sounds like you're doing something important. And so, you know, uh, she was also working part-time as a dancer to like earn money you know just to be able to make ends meet because you know I mean I remember when I was 24 and you know you're not making a lot of money you're just trying to like get by okay so (laughs) and you know shout out to all of our listeners from California but you know i from what I understand, it's expensive to live there. So I'm sure that, you know, she was also just trying to make sure that she could keep keep up with the lifestyle out there, right? Yeah, for sure. And so what you know, she um she was a beautiful young woman. Like mm-hmm. I we 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 will post some pictures, but she was just really a beautiful young lady. And she, you know, and that's kind of evident even in the fact that she was like in beauty pageants and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, she was such everybody that knew her and that spoke about her um, spoke highly of how her personality was contagious. Like you just hung around her, and she was the type of person where you just immediately fall in love with her immediately. And so, um, and so it's just really just to me when I hear 
people talk about my trees, it just really breaks my heart to know that, you know, what, what ended up happening, you know, on September, um, you know, in, what was it, Steph? Was it 2009? Okay. In September, 2009, she ended up in the parking lot of Jeffrey's restaurant in Malibu, California. And she's, she's not from Malibu. I mean, she didn't even live in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, and from all accounts, like friends and family that knew her, they said that she wasn't even familiar with this area. So we don't know how she ended up here, but she did. She ended up in this parking lot. And Steph, tell us like what happened when she okay, so, found herself here. Yeah, so just to give a little bit of background, what we do know is that my trees was sending strange text messages to friends and family like the whole entire day of September 16th, okay? So her aunt actually um, said that she got a, got several text messages that just seemed like like something wasn't right and she couldn't put her finger on it. And she asked my trees to call her back. My trees never did. And so on September 16th, on that evening, she finds herself in the parking lot of Jeffrey's restaurant. Now, when she gets there, there's a valet who is like that goes and parks your car, you know, free of charge. And he, you know, he, all he hears is my trees, you know, just rambling and just not sounding like she was quite right. Right. So she's saying that she's there because she's trying to avenge the death of Michael Jackson. And he's trying to prevent her from like trying to talk to her <laughs> to try to see, you know, what's going on. What's, you know, this isn't quite right. Trying to just kind of navigate the situation. But before he can even do that, my trees like gets out of her car and immediately goes into the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And um, she just kind of bypasses the host as if she's supposed to be there. She sits down with a group of people who are eating. And, you know, by their accounts, she is friendly. Um, you know, she's acting strange, but she's upbeat. And so they kind of just go with it. Like they, she sits down and she begins to tell them that she's from Mars and, and she, um, you know, she's here once again to avenge Michael Jackson's death and that she can teach them this foreign language. And she's just saying all these things that, that don't make any sense to these people. And so they ask her, did she want to order some food? And she says, yeah, you know, like, yeah. So like. So Steph, like to interrupt you real quick, like I think that this is like, you know, for our listeners that's out there, MIB, like, you know, it, it to me, it's not too far-fetched that she could be, that they could be thinking she was just drunk, right? Like intoxicated. Yeah. Because like, like, you know, I mean, I've been out before where some random person will just come sit down with me and a group of my friends and we do just like that group of people did my trees like we let them in like sure sit down talk and you you know you, they're rambling and they're saying crazy stuff and you're just kind of like yeah and you're laughing and kicking it up with them because honestly it's just not you don't think it's anything more than intoxication right you think it's harmless and yeah so let me just kind of like entertain this for the time being type of right thing. Right. Exactly. So she, she, they, they do, and she orders food, and of course the the party that's there, they get up to leave, they pay for their food, and they exit. Well, my Teresa is still there, and she does. She says she doesn't have any money to pay for her food, and at that point, the waitress or the manager actually calls the um, police, and they give a description of my trees, and they put emphasis on the fact that. Yeah, she didn't pay for her food, but really, she didn't. She doesn't seem right. Like, they think she's drunk, which, like you said, is a kind of a natural thing to assume. Like, she's drunk or on drugs or something. Like, something's so not right. So they're not calling the police because they feel like, oh, she didn't pay. I mean, they, they're not just calling the police because they think she didn't pay her food and she's not about to leave out of here without paying they're calling the police because they're like we're really concerned mm -hmm. about her stability right right and you know and from an attorney's perspective I can say that this is wise on the part of the restaurant because mm -hmm. had she left um, and let's say she was intoxicated and then she ended up getting into an accident there you know 
the the restaurant could potentially be liable, right? So they have to make sure that their patrons, you know, are going to leave and not putting other people in harm because they have, you know, because otherwise they could potentially be liable for the harm of that third person. So, you know, I can understand why they, you know, because most restaurants write off meals all the time. You know, I can understand how they probably were like, we really don't care that she didn't pay. We're really more concerned about the fact that, like, she doesn't seem to be stable. And right. we don't want her to leave and not be stable. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, makes complete sense. So the police arrive and they um, search her car and they find like an ounce of weed nothing that and we're in LA now so that's just a citation okay so the manager is very insistent that they they take her in make sure she's okay she passes the field sobriety test so they they do take her in at that point and arrest her so you know I, I I wasn't clear, MD. You maybe you can help me with this. I wasn't clear on really why they arrested her, other than the fact that the manager just was so insistent. Like it was like a citizen's arrest type of thing, right? Yeah, that that's exactly it. And like everybody's laws on citizen arrest are different. And you okay. know, so I'm in we're in Texas, but you know, for for the way that you know the the LAPD painted it, like was that you know this was a citizen arrest, and the the um the the owner of the restaurant was insistent on the fact that she go in mm-hmm. I, I think that it was twofold though like honestly like when I'm looking at the, the, the facts and not really necessarily listening to the testimony of the officer and the owner it seems to be both like a combination of it's a citizen arrest but um and so we're here because they made the call for us to come down here to arrest this person but we also are concerned about her stability right like so I think that like you know yes she did pass this field sobriety test but she's clearly acting like off balance and not not well and so we can't just you know like we don't want to put her out here in society and something be off and like you know so like I think it's like one of those things like let's like make sure we're checking all the boxes to make sure that she's okay mm-hmm. um because in my mind and I don't know if this is legally accurate you know you would think that like yeah you may want to make a citizen's arrest but if I come down here and realize that there's no reason there's no grounds for it then like I don't have to arrest you like I mean I don't know if that's legally accurate for California but that seems like that you know that that's how it works Mm -hmm. um but I think that the police officers were like you know something's something's wrong and and you correct me if I'm wrong Seth like didn't one of the arresting police officers say that he could tell something wasn't right and he was trying to ensure that he was like careful in how he dealt with her absolutely so there was an arresting officer who was present it was actually three officers there who were present and he said that he noticed that she just wasn't every something was wrong and so he made sure to be very careful and made sure that he was attentive to her during the time that you know he was with her during the arrest so they arrest her, and my Teresa's mother, Latisse Sutton, gets a phone call making her aware that, um, you know, her daughter's being arrested. And actually, she gets a phone. I don't. I'm not sure how she was, you know, notified um, at the restaurant, but uh, she was that my Teresa couldn't pay for her bills, but she offered to pay for Latisse's Le- Le- uh, bill. I'm sorry. And they said, well, no, we can't handle that over the phone because you, be, you know, need to be here to sign. To sign. And, you know, isn't that so crazy? Because, I mean, granted, this is like 2009. Um, and uh, it's 2022. So, obviously, there's time between mm-hmm. then and now. But, like, you know, now, taking a payment over the phone is standard practice. You don't right. have to be, you know, in the physical location to sign. That's why you have things like DoorDash and you know uber and you know people can pay over the phone for practically anything these days and it's not a big deal but the reason that 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 latisse got that phone call is because my tree said well listen i can't pay because i don't have no money but maybe my mom can pay like so she was aware enough to be able to have them call her mom mom. okay yeah okay and either she told them to or like they like saw on the phone and called mm-hmm. the mom but either way 
they didn't, like you said, they didn't accept the payment. And it's just crazy because it's like moments like these where it's like, had they accepted that payment, mm-hmm. maybe this story would look different. I don't know, because maybe they still would have felt like we want the police to come up. I mean, because, you know, when you listen to the call, you know, because in our research, we were able to actually listen to the phone call from the owner to the police, like, you know, saying, hey, we want you to come out here. There was genuine concern for like her, her, um, her health, her well-being. Yeah. There was genuine concern. So like, maybe even if they did, if even if she did pay, like maybe they still would have felt like, hey, we're really concerned, but maybe not to the point where they would have called the police, maybe only to the point where they were like, hey, let's call you an Uber or a taxi or tell your mom to send somebody out here to pick you up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So when, when Latisse realized at that point, and then they told her, hey, we're going to call the, the cops and, you know, you can get in contact with them via the cops. That's exactly what she did. And so she called up to make sure that my, my Trice was in Brooklyn. But before I say what happened with my Trice's mother, I want to say that when they arrested my Trice, they had her leave her purse, her cell phone, and anything that she would need to get in contact with someone. They had her leave all of those items in the car. And her car was going to get towed. That is so strange to me. Yeah. That that is so strange, in fact, that I, I did set off um, on a little bit of a rabbit trail to try to identify is this common practice in California mm-hmm. um, for police officers to do this because it just didn't add up. And I wasn't able to, to you know, find that out. But I was able to talk to a couple people here locally and like that's not standard practice in many of the the, you know, areas that I talk to. Like, you know, you get arrested and contrary to the opposite of what happened, you know, they tell you to bring your items with you. Like, hey, if you get arrested, if you get arrested, you were in your vehicle or like they're gonna uh, um, take your vehicle into, you know, uh, which they many times do if you get arrested, then, you know, which you can in Texas, you can't actually ask somebody to come pick your car up. You know, it's like if you got pulled over and they're going to arrest you, you really, you can actually ask them to see if somebody will come pick your car up. But many times they just like, you know, impound your car. Mm-hmm. Um, which as an attorney, I'm, I'm, t- I'm saying the reason this is like very sketch to me is because when they impound your car, they legally are able to then search your car. And so you don't want anything in there that you don't want them to have access to, mm-hmm. right? So like, but but here, like it's standard practice for them to tell you, take your valuables with you. And when you get booked, you check your all your valuables into booking. Mm-hmm. So this was just so strange to me that they said, leave your cell phone, leave your wallet. Leave all the stuff that you would need if we were to release you. Leave that all in your car. Like, how? Especially since they knew that she was not drunk. So, like, literally, they're taking her in, not really because she broke a law. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you know, because she didn't flee the scene. Mm -hmm. It's not like she left. I didn't pay my bill, and so I'm going to sneak out of here. That's an arrestable offense. But she's like, I can't pay. They could have made her clean the dishes. Like, you know, (laughs) you know, they could have, you know, worked out a deal with her, like to come back tomorrow and pay like all kinds of things. Like, we're gonna take your, you know, we're gonna hold your purse until you bring this back. You know, like, so why are they if they know that they're really not gonna be able to like have real true grounds to hold her, why would you make her leave those valuables or those belongings, like you said, that are essential to if you get released in the vehicle? Right. I mean, it just seems odd. I mean, that's, you know, like we said, just coming from a different state, that just seems odd. That could just very well be the way that they do things. Yeah, and and if we have anybody that's a police officer listening in, or you're from California, you're an attorney, or you just know the legal system in California, like, sound off in the comments and let us know, is this normal? Like, we don't know. And, you know, maybe it is normal, and so it's not really that big of a deal. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. So that so she was taken away to the jail. And at this point, Latisse, Matrice's mother, calls the police 
um, the sheriff's department where she's being held and she specifically asked, hey, like, is my treat going to be released tonight? And at this point, I want to pause because we've watched several um, documentaries about this particular case. So initially when MD and I watched it, um, the at least the version, because you know, if you're a true crime judge, you know you get different versions and new information mm-hmm. uh, on cases depending on who you watch, right? So right. Um, I want to say this was Dateline. All we heard was, you know, Latisse, Matrice's mother, said she wasn't going to come and pick Matrice up into the morning because she had a sleeping child at the house. And so she didn't want to wake her, wake her child up. And we were just like, what? I mean, that blew my mind. Like, And right. I can't remember if it was Disappearance or Dateline. It was one yeah. of them. Oh. But like, I just know that like we were both watching it together and we both looked at each other like, what? And we both had children at the time. So we were just like, no, that doesn't make sense. Like, I don't care if I have an infant who we all know, I mean, that are mothers, all of us that are mothers know that that infant stage, when your kid is sleeping, you do not wake a sleeping kid. Okay, you just like let them be. But if I have another child that is in trouble and they're le- they're in legal trouble, like right. they're sitting in a jail somewhere, I don't care that my kid is sleeping. I don't care if I just put that baby to sleep. Like that baby's gonna get up and this baby's gonna get in this car and we're gonna drive like to go see my other child. Or I'm gonna find somebody somewhere that can watch this baby while this baby's asleep. And we don't know the age of who, who they didn't tell us that. I mean, it, in my mind, I was imagining some kind of child. But yeah, that blew our minds. I, we were just so baffled that she wouldn't get up and like the urgency. But that was not, that wasn't even an accurate depiction of what actually happened. Right, because she actually called the jail and they told her, because she emphasized, is she going to be released tonight? Like, I'm concerned that she may be drunk or something may be out of sort. And they said, no, she's not going to be released tonight. You can pick her up in the morning. Um, She'll spend overnight here. And so she said, you know, she emphasized, like, that she's not familiar with that area at all. Like, so I, you know, I want to make sure that I'll be able to pick her up in the morning, that I'm okay, that she's there. I know she's safe. And they, the jailer was on the phone and he said, yeah, she'll be here. And so at that point, she breathed like a sigh of relief and that she could sleep well. And knowing that her daughter was in a safe space. Yeah, like while you're in jail, I know at least you're in jail. Right. You're, you're, You're not out on these streets. Because to your point that you made earlier, Latrice, I mean, Matrice had been sending text messages to her family that made her family feel in the, like in the days leading up to her disappearance, made her family feel like something wasn't right. Right. Something's off. So, so, you know, for the moms have gotten this phone call that, you know, hey, she can't pay her bill and oh, now she's in jail. Like her mom is already on edge from the prior text message. Like, you know, she's already thinking something is wrong. So when the officers say, hey, she's going to be here in the jail, she's like, my baby is going to be safe. Like, I'm I don't have to rush out there tonight because she she will be safe. They're not releasing her tonight anyway. So I might as well sleep in my bed tonight and just wake up first thing in the morning and go get her. And and she even asked, like, about what time will you release her? Because I want to make sure that I'm there. And we were able to actually listen to the call that she had with the officer. It was all recorded. And so it, it kind of just like, for me, breathed new light into this case. Like, because it just kind of shows the urgency that the mother had and all the things that she set up in place to make sure that her child was going to be okay in this new new area that she knew she wasn't familiar with. Right. So Latisse calls back at 535 in the morning. Okay. And she's like, okay, where can I pick her up? Trying to get all her ducks in a row. You know, trying to see if she needs bail or whatever the case may be. And she finds out that my Matrice was actually released at 12 a.m. Okay. And that's all the information they have for her. She was released at 12 a.m. Which was, you know, not just a couple of hours from when she talked to the 
talk to the initial jailer. So my treats is no longer at the police station. Do they have any like footage of her walking out of the police station? No. So they do have it, the but they don't release it. They say they have it, or they do have it. They they say they have it. Okay. I mean, I, I you know I wasn't able to confirm that. And what I researched, I thought maybe you had seen something different. Like, yeah, no, I I know that they have her leaving the station and that's what they released to the public but in terms of her being inside they did not release any footage or have any footage of my trees inside of the or they haven't released any footage of my trees inside of the jail okay so that yeah so they have the footage of her leaving and they have released that but they don't have any other they won't get any outside or inside information video footage nothing interesting yeah so um yeah so at that point you know Latisse you know allows a certain amount of hours to go by but then she calls the police officer the sheriff's office back and she's like listen do I need to um put in a missing put in a missing persons report because she you know eventually finds out that Matrice didn't have her phone. She didn't have, you know, she didn't have anything that would lead her into getting to con- into contact with her daughter. Like she couldn't, you know. And so, you know, the police officer says, "Well, give it twenty four hours. You know, I'll check around." And you hear, um, and we'll include this particular documentary on our uh, website where you can hear all of these calls and you hear the urgency in Latisse's voice like she almost breaks down um trying to convey to the police officer like this isn't right something's not right like yeah like I know that my daughter was not well and it was midnight she had no phone she's not familiar with the area where would she go she's never written on a bus so you know this she didn't have any money so even if she could ride on the bus she can't get on the bus so it's just like there is a sense of urgency that is there for for Latisse, but that sense of urgency was like non-existent for the officers. And you know, they were just kind of like, "Oh, well, you know, I'm sure she's fine. Yeah. Give it some time." And it's like, no, like it was it was midnight. You let her go, and she doesn't have any way of getting. Which is why you know we put such an emphasis on the fact that all of her belongings were left in this vehicle because if if she had had her phone at minimum we'd be able to track her we'd be able to call her even if her phone died we could at least identify her last known whereabouts like none of that is possible because she had nothing to be able to track her right nothing and um, so at that point, Latisse, once they, she eventually does file a missing persons report, and she actually calls uh, a lady by the name of Wanda, who actually interned, um, well, she had Latrice interned with her. Um, right. And so, the forensic psychologist. She's a forensic psychologist. And so she hears what's happening, and she gets in contact with the missing persons, before, uh, missing persons department. Um, and she finds out that, you know, nobody's really doing it. You know, there's not a whole lot being done. And she's getting, you know, um, the police are just being extremely dismissive of the whole situation with Matrice. You know, they say they released Matrice because nothing was wrong with her. She didn't appear to be drunk. She didn't, you know, she acted totally fine. They had to release her. Um, by law, they couldn't just keep her there. They felt no reason to hold her. And, um, you know, so Wanda is just trying to do her due diligence to try to help Latisse to try to find my trees. And in her efforts to try to find her, um, you know, she gets on my trees' Facebook and she starts to see that my trees just has a ton of ramblings on, on Facebook, you know, and, um, 
and they don't seem to make any sense. So once again, we're having to deal with the fact that my priest was acting very abnormal to her regular behavior. And it was seen all across her, you know, social media, not just with the text messages that was being shown to, you know, or she sent to her family and friends. So it's just super troubling at this point. And they're just having such a difficult time trying to to relate to the police. So actually two days go by before the police even talk about searching for my trees. So you got this police report and you, you, so you have this police report and Mm -hmm. you have people calling saying we are concerned and not just the family, but like actual, like, you know, people from the public saying, Hey, we're concerned. Um, and I, and I believe correct me if I'm wrong, Steph, like that even, um, who she interned with made a statement to the police that not only am I trying to get you guys to go look but like she was showing signs that she was suicidal she was showing signs that she was going through a severe depression that she is could potentially be very mentally unstable and so these are like motivating factors that to me warrant you looking for an adult many times when it comes to like adults missing the earth the sense of urgency is not always there because oftentimes it's like a, a person has the right to go missing a person has the right to not want to be found that 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 is their their actual right um individual liberties but to me when you have mitigating factors that say hey it's not just that they possibly don't want to be found they weren't mentally stable and so that alone warrants you to at least take a look at this. Being a psychiatrist, uh, was able to convey to the police department that my trees was more than likely under mental duress. Right. So, um, you know, everyone was very concerned, but the police still, you know, they, they dragged their feet, um, to even begin the search so actually she goes you know she goes missing um on a thursday and on friday saturday goes by and then on sunday they finally set up a search for my trees the police department does and this search was supposed to go on for two days and helicopters like every everything was supposed like dogs helicopters was supposed to be this big thing but they actually like did it for like two hours and then they canceled the search two hours yes you go yes. from you go from 48 hours to we're only gonna do two hours is it because they found the body no they just that's they just stopped it they just what they was their reason so what kind of sparked the case was they got they received a 911 phone call at um 6 30 in the morning so this is like they're kind of backtracking and on the day that they which was by that next day it was friday morning they released my trees they received a phone call at 6 30 a.m um from a guy named bill smith who said he noticed a african-american woman um who had afro hair which I was kind of like, what? Okay, what? I mean, and if you look at the pictures of my tree, she did have like kind of not a full afro, but I just, I just was uncomfortable with him being like afro hair. He kept saying that, like, just adamant. I mean, her hair wasn't like that, but okay. it wasn't afro. You know what I'm saying? When I think afro, it's 70s, you know, and it wasn't. Yeah. That. But neither here nor there. It just kind of bothered me a little bit. But he said that he noticed this this person in his backyard resting like just kind of sitting there and he called the police and told the police about this phone call I mean about this sighting and he said he asked the woman was she okay and she said yes she was just resting okay so just to make just to make sure that all the MIB fans are like with us Mm -hmm. on what 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 we're talking about because we kind of skipped ahead and then went back so she gets arrested she goes to the 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 jail they call the mother, say we're gonna hold her. They don't hold her. They let her. They let her out at around midnight, and that so that's you know Friday morning, mm-hmm. early early Friday morning. And then at six thirty a.m., she was spotted 
in this neighborhood in Malibu behind this guy Bill's house. Right. And it was more or less a neighborhood because there was like a horse trail. Like it was very, it, it's, it was like in a secluded area. It wasn't necessarily an, a neighborhood in the way that we, you know, a traditional neighborhood, like in the suburbs. Like it was a very like, hard terrain. It was a horse okay. trail right behind their house. So there wasn't like several different houses. It was just houses that were spread out amongst this, you know, desert land. Got it. Now, do you know, like, how close this area was to the the police station? Like, was this, this was this like a walkable distance? Like, would it have taken her a significant amount of time to get there if she walked, or do, do is it clear that poss- she was possibly dropped off there, like by vehicle? Yeah. Like- so it wasn't close to the police station at all, um, or even where her car was impounded. It was actually five and a half miles away from the police station so it was a distance away like and so for her to kind of get there it did follow the natural path from the police station so to speak okay. so okay. it was clear that she came from there but um it was a it was a it was a long way you know on foot right um, so yeah that's interesting mm-hmm. so they so they so they, so when, as they begin to truly investigate, it took them two days to really truly investigate. And when they begin to truly investigate, they discovered this phone call. Yes. yes. And so do they go out and talk to Bill? Like what, what happened? Well, you know, outside of, the, I mean, all they, okay. So the initial phone call happens. It actually takes them several hours to even from the initial sighting. Like, so at 630, he calls in. It takes them hours to even get over to Bill's property. Like, and then at the time, they didn't even know it was, it possibly was linked to my trees, right? So it's not like they immediately went out there. They did not. Um, And so, like, again, a time elapses, it's a time gap. And so when they begin to search for her, they actually go out to Bill's property and they start the search at his property they don't start the search at the police station with dogs and kind of just naturally follow the scent what you would think they would do they just go to his property and start it right there and they see footsteps and then the footsteps start to like they appear like they're it's running right they i don't know how they are able to get that (laughs) maybe because Um, like they're further distance away from like your natural a natural gate? walking pattern. Yeah, maybe from okay. your, your your walking gate is different from your running. Right, that makes so. sense. So, um, and it appears that it's running, and then it stops. And so at that point, they, they stop the search. And that's kind of where, I mean, there was really no explanation outside of it. They stopped the search. Okay, so, so and you, <laughs> that makes no sense to me, because I'm like, mm-hmm. and you no longer see the foot patterns. Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't do the helicopter search that we said we were gonna do. No, gonna, you know, like in my mind, like when I think of all the searches that I've seen from true crime, they just kind of begin to search any and everywhere within that, you know, a so so many mile radius. Like, why right. would we not just continue to walk in that direction or mm-hmm. have helicopters fly over that area or you know just anything? Like, we just not gonna search at all anymore right and that just was I mean it it would it just seems odd right like so from the beginning you know it just seems to be a strain uh between the relationship of the police and my Teresa's family like the police say one thing they said initially they were gonna release they weren't gonna release her um and Latisse Latisse her mother is like, okay, I'm going to go pick her up in the morning. Then they did release her, you know, and then they say they're going to, you know, um, start to search for her and do all this, like this heavy duty search party. Um, And then they stop, they stop it. And they don't even bring everything that they said they were going to bring to the search. And they're hesitant, you know, they're really giving, the family a hard time about searching for my trees. It's like without my trees's family, it's like 
I don't know if the police really would have fully investigated this to the extent that they did. Right, because Matrice's family really stayed on the police. I mean, I, one thing that I kind of took away from this was just the persistence of both Latisse and, you know, Matrice's dad. Like, they really, and even her, her aunts and and just family, friends of community. the community. Yeah, the community really kind of stayed on this police department to say, hey, like, it's not enough and we're not going to settle for that. They really u- utilized and capitalized on the media as well. Like there's mm-hmm. lots of video footage of, um, you know, them talking to the media and just trying to get her name out there and to keep it, you know, just visible and in the minds of everybody in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they began to just, I want to say that they, the police, they do their, they they basically, after this initial search that they call out for early, they go to the media and immediately start to do damage control, which is like red flags for my Teresa's family. Because it's like, wait, we're, we're, we're trying to work with you. And here you are already, you know, setting a narrative in the media that you... You didn't see anything wrong with my trees. That's why you let her go in the first place. That's why you released her. Um, and, you know, we did everything. It was kind of like we did everything on our part, you know, to make sure that my trees was okay. She seemed fine. And so as a result, you know, we did everything we could. So it was immediately, it was this narrative painted that my trees was fine in the, in the custody of the police. And so really my trees' family decided to, um, to really put forth an effort to just look for her. I don't, I want to stay on their own. And they, that's what they did. So, um, they started to search for her and, um, they did this for a year because my trees went missing in 2009, in September of 2009. And it wasn't until January of 2010 did the police start to look for her again, like with volunteer search parties and with police and they began to search again. But in the meantime, in between time, there were um, people who said they spotted Latrice in Las Vegas. MD, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So there were several different spot, um, several different sightings saying, Hey, you know, we saw her, we saw her walking the streets. I am confident this was her. She did look disheveled. You know, she did look like, it, you know, something was wrong. Um, but I am confident. I mean, there were several phone calls that basically, you know, really kind of detailed out like this person that looked to be or sounded to look just like Matrice, um, but her family just really didn't believe that that was her. Like, you know, and w- when the police would go and try to track that down, it, it never, nothing ever came of it. And so it kind of just put everybody back at square one at, of, well, where is she? You know, could she possibly be in Las Vegas? And, you know, for, we know that like California and Las Vegas, they're, they're relatively close. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's possible that, you know, maybe she got a ride to, to Vegas or maybe, you know, some kind of way she ended up there. And, you know, keeping in mind that her mental state was not, um, that, that she was not all the way mentally sound, according mm-hmm. to lots of the, you know, uh, testimony, then it's possible that she just, you know, was walking the streets and homeless and just, you know. Landed in Vegas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, these, you know, and Latrice, I'm sorry, I want to call her Latrice, but you see why her name is Matrice, because she's named after her mom. But um, Latrice really was adamant that her daughter was not in in Las Vegas. I mean, yeah. to the point where it's, I don't know about you, MD, but I really feel like that's that mother connection. Like, yeah, just that, knowing without a shadow of a doubt. Absolutely. She knew it wasn't. I mean, she mm-hmm. knew it wasn't. I think, you know, the father had more hope and 
and I don't even want to say that the father thought that it could be true. I just think that, you know, that hope there, right? Like, I'd rather it be true that she's in Vegas than any other scenario that may be an option here, right? Like, right, but, right. but Latisse, the mother, she knew. She knew. She was very clear that she knew her daughter was not there, um, not in Vegas. And I think oftentimes in cases like these, like, I, you know, you look at that and you say, well, what about, what about these calls? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, do they really see this girl? Like, I think that like, you know, when you are actively trying to help sometimes, like you see something and it's so similar. And, you know, I, it's kind of funny and this is kind of like a little bit of a tangent or an, mm-hmm. an aside um, step, but I recently saw on Facebook that there is this photo- photographer out there that basically he takes pictures of people who look like they're twins, but they have absolutely no relation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's amazing. He has, he's taken about um, 200 people's photos. And like, I, you know, I was able to kind of go through and there are some pictures where it's uncanny. You're like, no, they are twins and they have zero relation. As a matter of fact, oftentimes not even never have living in the same area or state. So you know, I do think that like most of us probably have a twin floating around here. And so, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes people are just making things up. And unfortunately, you know, their, their desire to be a part of the case can really cause, you know, police and people who are looking for them to get off on the wrong trail and like waste time and cause hope to be where it shouldn't be. But then I think there's also times where it's like people really think they saw that person because they because that person may have really looked like the person that is missing. And so I don't know which one is the case here if those people that called in these sightings of Matrice in Las Vegas were either being helpful or they were just trying to insert themselves into the case. Um, but either way, we know now that it wasn't. Yeah, because... In 2010, a number of, like, searches were done. Like I said, one was done in January of 2010, another done in April 2010. And it wasn't until they did, well, actually, they did one in June of 2010, and nothing came up, right? So it just began to be very hopeless um, situation. But Latisse never gave up hope. And on August 9th of 2010, human remains were found by park rangers. And I want to emphasize here that um, the skull and pretty much skull and bones were found. All the the bones of a human parts were found. And this was in a very remote area, but it was very close to the sighting of my trees at 6.30 a.m., so Bill Smith's house, and it was close to um, where they actually saw a mural of um, Afro women on this, um, on this part of the, of the canyon. There was, like, a mural of a lot of, like, Afro women, and, and if you remember, Bill Smith kept referencing um, Afro, she had Afro hair, Afro hair, Afro hair. So, like, this this place where they found these human remains, it was by, it was close to Bill Smith's house in a very desolate, remote place where you couldn't get there unless unless you were airlifted into this particular spot. And the reason why the park rangers were out there is because they were checking to see if marijuana was growing in this area, which they said they had issues with, you know, in previous years. And so that's why they were out there. Now they do call in my Teresa's family and Latisse and, and her sister come. And um, you know, obviously she was hoping that that was not my trees. Um, and they were told, once again, um, the the police seem to not really be giving uh, my Teresa's family information. So the police, and I'm watching this, so we're going to include the all the information that we retrieved. Y'all can watch this yourselves. But, you know, on camera, the police officer is seen saying to Latisse, oh, well, we're probably not going to be able to get in there today. Oh, we're not going to get in there today. We will go in and airlift the bones tomorrow morning. And so you hear her saying, well, who's going to stay with the remains or who's going to be out here to watch? And he says, well, you know, you know, police personnel. And then 10 minutes later, you actually see 
the helicopter airlifting the <laughs> remains and taking them to the coroner's office. And it's like, what? It's like, what is, to me, it's, it's just this tension and unknown tension. Like, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't seem like from our perspective. And granted, mm-hmm. I know that we don't, we're not privy to all of the details, but from our perspective, it doesn't appear that Latisse and her family are being belligerent or difficult to work with or blaming the police unnecessarily. Like, it just seems like, why is there this tension? Why are you consistently lying to me? I mean, like, it just doesn't make sense why he would say that and then something, and the exact opposite is happening simultaneously. It just didn't seem right. And I mean, shortly after that, um, you know, it is, we do know that it was Matrice's remains. Um, and, you know, once again, um, you know, Matrice's family is just left out the loop. They're, they find out information about the remains via the media. Um, you know, actually the coroner's office said that they, when they were reviewing and uh, doing an autopsy of the bones and trying to identify who it was, clothing was also found. And Matrice's mom wanted to go and, you know, just see see if she knew her child's clothes, you know, what she wore. And they refused to allow her to come to even view clothes, let alone, you know, anything else. And so um, her, Matrice's father and Latisse, they just were constantly felt like they were getting the short end of the stick as it related to their daughter's case. And um, the police did... Um, say that it was not a homicide. They did not suspect any foul play. Um, and I didn't find anything about the cause of death. Um, MD, did you? No, I didn't. I didn't find anything about the cause of death. Not only did I not see it online, but it wasn't any in do- the documentaries that we watched either. And so it's 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 strange because I believe this case is still active. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 super strange. And I do want to say that, you know, a, a lot of the reasons to kind of like so. Well, let me double back. That is the case in its entirety. And that's super. That's like for Indy and I, we were we were talking and discussing that's super short because it's like super straightforward. And it almost seems like, you know, it was like you know, tipping over dominoes, the domino effect, like right after this, this happened and right after this, this happened. But for me, I just was so uncomfortable with the way LAPD handled this case because nothing at the very least, I felt like they should have held my trees on a 5150. Like, because everybody knew, even the arresting officer, cop to, she wasn't in her right mental state. The reason why she was arrested in the first place was her mental state. Well, Steph, can, you tell, us what, uh, Steph, can mm-hmm. you tell us what a 5150 is? Uh, 5150 is basically an involuntary 72-hour hold where they, they, they either take you or have someone come in to evaluate your mental state by a psychiatrist. So, you yeah. know, I it's the the one of the documentaries that we watched was called Lost Compassion, and I thought I thought it was probably the most um, the most detailed documentary about like about my trees and and if you really want to take a deep dive, it's like about two hours long, and it really kind of details without a lot of commentary, just kind of like shows you all that transpired and really walks with you through the case, like you know of you know, her missing to when they found her um, and and even afterwards. And I, I love the name though. I love the name of this documentary because really at the heart of it all, that's what, that's where for me, the, mm. the police officers went wrong. Um, there was just no compassion um, shown. I'm not saying any police officer, like that none of the police officers she came in contact with didn't show her compassion. I obviously the cop that that made the statement I recognized that she was not mentally that something was off mentally so I was trying to make sure that I dealt with her in a very gentle you know like 
you know, way so that, you know, she wouldn't snap basically. Like obviously there was some compassion there. So I, what, but what I am saying is that the fact that she was able to be released mm-hmm. in that state shows a lack of compassion. And then even if there was like just an error, right? Like, you know, because that happens. I mean, we are humans, we make mistakes and it's unfortunate, but sometimes mistakes can really be like, it can be deadly. You know, it, it, it can have um, unfortunate consequences, right? So right. let's just say that some kind of way she was documented. Let's say that somebody meant to write her down as a 5150. But instead, they wrote something else down, or and then then somebody else picked that paper up and was like didn't recognize or wasn't a part of the booking, wasn't the, one of the arresting officers, and they released her that day. And so it was an accident; it was not intentional. We accidentally released her. Um, the to me, there's still a lack of compassion because when you realize the error, or when you realize, oh shoot, we shouldn't have released her. When you got the phone call from Latif and recognized that, oh, wow, like she didn't have any of her, her, you know, um, possession of anything within her possessions to be able to contact anybody. It was 1230 at night. You haven't heard from your daughter. Like the, the spring into action wasn't there. It mm-hmm. wasn't there. The, the compassion was missing. And mm-hmm. if there was just an ounce of compassion shown for this young lady who was on obviously like in the middle of a mental you know breakdown um maybe we wouldn't have what we have here because I, you know they they said it wasn't a homicide i mean we really kind of obviously we can speculate and say maybe that it was but you know we do know that all of her bones were found with her we do know that the clothes that she was wearing the time that she went missing was what was left there so there, there's a chance that maybe like she just fell, hurt herself. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that she was out in this rural area, you know, mm-hmm. and something just like you know bad happened, and here we are. Right. But like, had you sprung into action and began to look for her at five thirty in the morning, because that's when the mother called, mm-hmm. and then Bill calls at six thirty. Like we could have found her alive, and she this could not be this this would not be the story. We would not be here having this conversation because my trees would be be well. But that's not what happened because why there was a lack of compassion by this by the police officers and Latisse and her family were treated like second class citizens because we know we know that if this was somebody else who had money, who had power, riches looked different mm-hmm. this the possibility of this going the way that it did is highly unlikely absolutely absolutely and it's just it's one of those things where you see how privilege and not just like white privilege or anything i do think you're right like it could have been somebody who was black and who has celebrity status and it would have been totally different because of the right. tipping that it would have garnered. And so, I mean, it just privilege in general um, is just, it definitely was seen. You see how just being a regular person and trying to look for your kid, just, it has, it devastated this family. And one thing that um, Latisse, Matrice's mother said um, in, in the documentary, she said, you know, police officers, you're not just here to um, arrest people for misconduct. You know, that's not, that's not the, the definition uh, in its entirety of a police officer. Police officers are meant to protect and to serve at the end of the like you know like that is the definition yes arrest people for misconduct but you're here to protect and serve and that's what they did not do for my trees that night for whatever the reasons were they failed her and um and and naturally like you said it just it like you said this could be a situation where my trees just you know she she went down this malibu canyon and 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 an accident happened but still, the due diligence to make sure that she got back to her car, okay, and not send her into the night with no phone and no means of communication, 
you know, it's just like y'all did not do what you were expected to do and what we expect from police officers. Well, yeah, like, I mean, police officers, you know, are are there to to com- to keep the community safe, right? And the communities, a community exists of people, and so therefore, by definition, your job is to keep people safe, right? And so when you released her um, from from jail uh, because you said there was you had no grounds to hold her so now she is a regular citizen who didn't commit any wrong but even if she did like it was your job to ensure that she was safe I mean the restaurant owners had enough wherewithal to do that they were like we want to make sure she's safe so let's call the police officers because that's what we expect for you to do is to keep us safe like and that looks different in many different ways. Like if, if I'm in my home and I'm about to be burglarized, I expect for you to keep me safe by getting over here and making sure that the person doesn't, bur- you know, doesn't commit this burglary. Right. Um, and then it also means that if I, it's midnight and I need to get to my car, that you follow me home or you take me to my vehicle to ensure that I get in there safely. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's so many various different things. It also does mean like, you know, making sure that people aren't speeding on the streets because it could, it could put other pedestrians at, in, you know, at risk. Right. So you're keeping the pedestrians safe. It also means like arresting criminals, but that's, it's, it's, it's such a broad definition. That's why your th- their role is to keep the community safe. That is their, by definition, their job. So the right. fact that they did not ensure that my trees got to her, her car it makes you speculate well did they have something to do with the fact that she went missing right like or or you know is it just simply that they failed to do their job I think either way they're culpable right absolutely absolutely they are and in 2011 um my trees I mean Latisse and um her her father my trees's father um actually had a lawsuit against LAPD and they actually won was the LA County Sheriff. Let me be specific. Um, and they actually won $450,000 each. Um, when they tried to, um, have the, the Sheriff's department brought up on criminal charges, you know, for neglect or what have you, they were unable to prove that they had anything to do with, or, or they held any liability for her going miss, missing or, you know. Yeah, they what, didn't have enough evidence. Yeah, right. they didn't have enough evidence to be able to to bring those charges. Right. Mm-hmm. Criminal charges, it's easier to sue somebody mm-hmm. than it is to hold somebody culpable criminally because mm-hmm. of all the, you know, necessary elements that need to be proven. And if you don't have the evidence, it doesn't mean that you weren't liable. It just means we may not have had the evidence to prove your liability right right that makes sense so i mean so how what what's your takeaway md from this case um how would you kind of sum it up you know i think my takeaway you know for is it my takeaway you know one is, is absolutely like the mental mental health aspect of it and we didn't get to mention it although you and i talked about it like um at around 25, and we, if you recall, Matrice was 24, um, is usually when a bipolar episodes, um, schizophrenia, like usually surface, you know? Mm-hmm. So we don't know if Matrice had an episode, if this was her first or anything like that, but we do know that there was something wrong mentally. And we know she was around the age that if that presents, if you end up having it, if it, it usually presents around that time. And so I think it's just important that we are being mindful of that. My takeaway is like, you know, for those of us that have family, friends, you know, around that age and you see that something is off when her parents, I mean, when her, her family were getting these odd text messages from her, you know, they were worried and and many of them reached out and were unable to connect. But I think it's just important for us to recognize that that's, that that is real to be, um, aware and you don't have to be an expert nobody's asking you to be a counselor or a psychologist or a therapist 
and know all of the things about all of the mental health, um, you know, diseases out there. But I think it is important that you're at least cognizant of it so that, you know, if you see that one of your friends, family, a loved one is experiencing something that just isn't right, that you're able to step in and offer the help or get the help that they need. Because really that's what it was. Like she was having something was wrong and she just needed, she needed somebody to be able to like be her, their advocate. And, you know, I think in the world we live in today, we live in such a, you know, it's me, 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 all about me, 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 you know, selfies, like how many likes do I get on my post? All, you know, it's just like a, a me driven society. And I think it's important that we recognize that it's not all about us. The sun does not rise and set on us. And it's kind. It's loving. It's, it's, it's um, necessary that we are there for one another. We need relationships. Um, and by definition of being a human. And so it's just important to just be mindful of that and to, you know, try to advocate for those that are around you. And if you are somebody that may be in this age range and you start to see that some things are off with yourself, like to really go and get the help that you need. That's my takeaway. Absolutely. Um, I totally agree with that. Um, For me, I think um, I was just thoroughly impressed with the community. Um, Matrice's community, you know, not just her family, but you know, the community, because there were tons of volunteer searches that did not include the police in 2010. And they all came together to to advocate for her, to look for her, to make sure her name stayed relevant, the media included. Like, they were a big part of the reason why people kept talking about Matrice. And I just think that as a community, just of people, I know we often like to, as you spoke of, like the me-driven um, society that we we can live in, but if we just know that there's a person in our community that's missing or something has happened, whether you know them or not, like we have a responsibility to look out for each other, a responsibility to say something if we see something, to speak out. And um, I was just thoroughly impressed with her community. Like I really felt like that's that was the best way to to be an example. Because that's the reason why we even know about a Mytrice Richardson. Because her friends kept her name out there. So I really was impressed by that. Yes, I agree. Completely. Such a great case. And such a good case to kind of highlight a lot of the issues that, um, you know, impact our community. Like, you know, not just your Black community. But mental health is not a Black thing. It's not isolated to a race. And you know, our communities are really impacted by mental health and especially in today's age where we live in this pandemic where we're oftentimes being forced to quarantine and, you know, isolate from other people. Mental health is more important than ever before. And, you know, so it's just something that I thought was really great, like to be able to bring attention to. So I really enjoyed this case. Yes. So we will see you guys next week. Definitely drop some comments. Um, Y'all can do voice comments and let us know what you think, or you can just type a comment and we want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about this case. If you can give us any clarity about the laws in California, we appreciate it, but we will see you guys next week. And we have a bonus. Yes. And you guys, so tune in for that, but no matter what you do, absolutely share and like and subscribe. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.